I'm Keith Johnston, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP and Research Director James McQuivy and Vice President and Principal Analyst JP Gounder to discuss how we can assess the cost and impact of systemic risks related to the pandemic. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, thank you, Keith. Let's get right into it. And uh, you heard me intentionally like tweak the intro just a little bit because this report is all about absenteeism. And of course, COVID-19 is the thing that we're looking at right now because it's really top of mind. But we're suspecting, particularly through this research, that you know absenteeism is going to be affected by many other kinds of systemic risks. And companies are really going to have to build this muscle. Explain the whole premise for us. So what's happening here is, of course, the pandemic has taught us many, many things and is continuing to teach us many things. One of the things that has crystallized for a lot of us is this concept of systemic risk. Now, systemic risk is the word that we use to mean all of those things that are external to your firm, to your industry that you have no control over, but shape the way you can do your job. And this, of course, includes things like a pandemic. It includes disruptions in supply chain. It includes things that are happening in international politics, all of which might affect the way you get raw materials, the way you source talent, all of those things. So systemic risk has become really, really clear to people, but it's not something that they have previously developed processes and methods around in order to well measure, first of all, how big is this risk in its likely effects on us as an organization. So at Forrester, we're trying to help people see what systemic risks are coming and to identify whether they're going to be large or small in their effects. But what we're getting down to at the level of your actual individual employees is starting to figure out what is going to be the effect of some of these systemic risks. And one of them that we're just, it's just staring us in the face right now is this question of COVID-related absenteeism. And the, the important lesson we can learn from this at, at the broad level is that, well, that can be measured. It can be anticipated. And if you plan for it, you're going to be ready to manage that risk for the next six months, 12 months, whatever that that, that risk management needs to be. And then once you do that, our hope is, You'll say, oh, this systemic risk measurement and management is just something we got to get good at because a year from now, it's a different risk that we didn't see coming. And the year after that, it's a different one and so on. Yeah, we just have such a great example in front of us, you know, the COVID-19 absenteeism specifically. Um, we all went remote for a minute, then mandates got lifted, they went back. Some workers returned. There's a health-related impact on this. Then travel went up, down, like infrastructure got tested. JP, let's delve into this particular use case. Let's go into COVID-19 specifically before we go much broader. So what our clients are telling us is that um, previously in the pandemic, they were very worried about life and death issues, right? I mean, that, they were actually literally looking, how do we take care of our employees and make sure that they are well? Now it's a different world, right? We we have widespread vaccination. We have people who've had prior infection. Um, and while there can be serious impacts from COVID-19, it is a different context for thinking about this problem. So right now, organizations have to take into account four measurable things. The first is the rate of direct absenteeism 
from your employees. Now, we know from the U.S. Census data that in 2022, at the beginning of July, about 3.9% of the workforce was out due to COVID. That is to say they were either ill themselves or taking care of someone who was ill in their household. That compared to 2021, the same number, same time of year, it was 1.8%. So that number has been going up and down, but I think probably everybody knows somebody who's been out ill with COVID, right? So we have this direct employee absenteeism, quarantining illness. Uh, And then there are a couple of other things that come about here. The second is supervisor productivity costs. So when an employee goes out, their supervisor has to figure out, how do I cover for this person? How do I rejigger schedules and resources to actually get work done? There are colleague productivity costs because those supervisors are turning to someone else to get the work done. And finally, there are impacts to productivity from long COVID. Uh, And here we're not talking necessarily about people who are disabled, although there are some. We're talking about just the fact that for a couple of months after people have COVID, they may not be themselves and there is a measurable productivity issue. So when you add all four of those things together, as we did in our model, you can understand what the likely costs are so that you understand what you need to be measuring down the line. So like many things in life, when these things abruptly happen to you, we all respond and hopefully we learn and we're ready for the next time that unexpected thing happened. Lots of companies dealt with this in different ways. What are some examples right now that of of how uh, companies responded well and are preparing Uh, for all that has to come with these new kinds of capacity models and preparedness and all the things. So there's a couple things companies can do to try to deal with this absentee issue related to COVID. The first is to rethink the way that you prepare your staffing. There's a lack of redundancy in the way that we think about this. And this is something that our colleague Katie Tynan emphasized in our internal conversations that also played a role in the research. Uh, It turns out that companies who may have in the past had a really, really tight sort of lack of backup for various roles need to rethink that. You may need to have more employees per unit of work to get things done. Another thing you can do is direct mitigation. Have you done an audit? of the ventilation systems in your facilities for those who are working in person? Have you thought about your anywhere work strategy so that maybe when the cases go up, you allow those who can do their jobs remotely to go remote for a period of time, right? So it's about adaptiveness, it's about measurement, and it's about being more strategic about how we make sure that work gets done along the way. I think one of the things that we're trying to help people understand is if you know JP starts to talk about mitigating this or making these kinds of steps or over planning capacity compared to prior planning cycles, people think, oh, now you're adding cost. Now you're adding cost. And it's true. But if you actually look at that cost in the context of the model, and JP, I feel like you you're underselling a little bit the impact of your model, because when you model out those four characteristics that you're talking about, we we did it for a hypothetical firm of what was the size of firm, but to tell Tell us what the loss in terms of dollar value of, of productivity or, or impacted employees. So, so you can understand 
that the small cost of taking those other steps to offset the large potential cost of absenteeism is the way you need to look at this. This is not about what's good or right. It's about, okay, anticipate costs that might get out of control and take lower cost measures to address those before they happen. Right. So the way that we did this was we gave people the ability to input their own numbers, but we also modeled uh, an organization that was kind of, as we do in our total economic impact studies, kind of a composite, just a starting point so that you understand what this might look like in an organization. And so we looked at a company with 3,500 employees um, with $1 billion in annual revenue. And when we model all of these things out, uh, direct employee absenteeism, supervisor and colleague productivity costs, and long COVID lost productivity impact, it's $13.4 million worth of cost. So to your point, James, that's a quite a lot of money, in fact. So you need to contextualize some of the investments like upgrading your ventilation systems, which, by the way, may have ongoing benefit uh, for other pandemics or the continuation of this present one um, compared to that $19.4 million. Again, your mileage will vary based on how many employees you have and you know what your revenue looks like, but it is a significant 1.9% of total revenue. So yeah, this is a total cost of ownership issue. And frankly, it's kind of flown a little bit under the radar. You know, a lot of companies will tell me, you know, we're looking at absenteeism, we're concerned about it, but very few of them up to this point have actually quantified it. So just to be clear, JP, let's, let's talk about a couple of the examples that you explored, just so we understand the kind of the the, the cause and effect. So there's, there's kind of this chain of things that happen that get into these costs, but like not every industry is the same. So do you have a couple of examples where you can tell me it's like, if this employee does not show up for work, X, Y, and Z happens that loss, uh, results in that productivity loss? Well, sadly, um, a lot of people have been experiencing this industry's problems, um, which I will say are not only related to COVID absenteeism, but it's the airline industry. And what we found is the airline industry has been very tightly um, you know, resourced. They did lay off a lot of people during the lockdown period of COVID. And it was hard for them to reclaim that labor because people changed jobs, they changed professions, they upskilled, they went off and did other things. So what you're finding in that instance is when the, when the bag carriers don't show up, um, well, the luggage doesn't reach its destination, and that creates compounding problems along the customer and employee experiences. TSA, by the way, in some of their airports have seen 50% increases in absenteeism when there was a surge, including at LAX. So one of our largest you know, airports in America, in Los Angeles. And so all of these things are kind of interconnected. If you, miss, um, you have a missing crew member for a flight, that flight might get canceled. And because airlines schedule their flights pretty tightly in terms of customers, it could be that uh, the customer doesn't get a flight for a few days. So all of these things are, are intersecting. I also spoke with an organization in manufacturing who was finding that um, you know everybody was actually out on their assembly line. And because it's a multi-step process, if you don't have coverage in one part, it becomes a domino effect down the line. In other words, someone who didn't you know make the the unit of good 
can't, the next person can't put it in a package. So really these things are deeply interconnected and it requires, as James was saying, taking a step back, looking more strategically at how this is impacting all operations and customer outcomes. And so what are companies doing now? Like, you know, are there some recommendations? Are we overstaffing? Are we invested more in automation, technology? Are we just changing the way that we, we service or build or whatever industry we happen to be in? Yeah, I mean, I think it could be any of those things. You know, there's the there's the mitigation I talked about. There's the let's look at our staffing model. Let's try to understand how to get more fungible talent uh, that we can bring in. Maybe they're contingent or, as we call them at Forrester, on-demand labor who can come in at a moment's notice. Um, but you're finding this across the board. I mean, in healthcare, there's a huge crunch right now. Um, I mentioned manufacturing, airlines, really every industry that serves uh, customers is in some way impacted here. So you can mitigate, you can expand uh, your on-demand labor force, you can overstaff, you can do some things around, uh, you know, your fundamental proposition. So for example, some of the airlines have been saying, you know, we're not going to check luggage for a little while, right? Some of the European airlines had to, had to say, we're not going to be allowing that for a, a period of time to get out of this crunch. Let me let me offer another example. I was in recent conversation with a, a U.S. retailer, and of course, the, the retail sector always has trouble with talent acquisition and management and retention. Uh, and of course, coming out of the pandemic has had a, an unprecedented challenge at a time when people otherwise are considering maybe you know, driving for DoorDash or something like that. So they're really struggling overall. But one of the things that we're finding is okay along the way you perhaps should have been investing in technology solutions that will allow your employees to manage their relationship with their employer. Scheduling, for example, is the number one problem for frontline retail workers. They, they never really know what their schedules are. They're not confirmed until sometimes the last minute. Swapping schedules is incredibly onerous and burdensome on the employee. And when the employee can't do it effectively, the manager has to do it. I mean, this, these, are, these are just well-known facts about that industry. So much so that people have, in some cases, kind of stopped trying to fix those problems. But the technologies exist. There are very effective scheduling technologies now for frontline workers. Uh, and this retail uh, organization I was just discussing this with last week was saying that, you know, if if they say, oh, how do we solve this scheduling and absenteeism problem? Really, the answer is put that technology in the pockets of your employees so they can quickly notify that they're not able to make it because of illness, uh, swap schedules quickly in a way that makes sense for them, put out a call to other employees who might want to pick up the extra hours so that you can resolve those potential employee shortages in a much more efficient way. Uh, and that's that's just an investment in technology that needed to happen anyway. But once you start to think like this about planning for risk rather than responding to risk, it puts you in a much stronger position to advocate for investment in those kinds of technologies, which is exactly what's happening at this retailer that I'm that I'm describing. Great. So clearly the pandemic was a learning moment for us. Um, we're it, it's now thrust us into a kind of a, a new world of work an anywhere work world, if you will, to use our own terminology. Uh, if we were to suggest to clients and leaders out there uh, how they get ahead of this, uh, what's the recommendations? Clearly, they have to de identify the risks, make it relatable to their business, and then decide what other systemic risks they need to consider 
then they can start going to action. Do we have those recommendations? Definitely. Um, you know, as you say, there, there are a series of different risks. Let's take an example of a hurricane. Now, a hurricane is tending to be kind of um, localized. It might be a large region. It might be the entire U.S. Uh, Gulf Coast or something like that. But identifying where your facilities are and where you can therefore route excess uh, demand. So, you know, we find this a lot when there is a hurricane, certain kinds of companies can route the tasks of work, let's say call centers or sales or, you know, even logistics to other regions where they may be unaffected by that hurricane. So the analysis for a hurricane may look a little different than a sort of universally global pandemic. There are some things, though, that you can do that are going to have universal benefit, whatever the systemic risk event is. Anywhere work is certainly one of those, because when you are in a COVID surge, people can work from home. When you are in a hurricane, some people can still work from home if you have the right technology and systems in place, although those who lose power and you know uh, have property damage may not be able to. So I think it's a matter of learning from you know each of these systemic risk events and trying to get ahead of the planning. And finally, I've talked to a couple of companies who, who were affected by the war in Ukraine because they had employees and or business partners or you know on-demand labor coming out of that region. So some of them, in fact, even relocated some of that talent to places like Poland, where they could continue to work with the same personnel. Um, and so, again, I think your, your way of thinking about it, Keith, is right. Try to identify these various classes of different systemic risk events and then do an audit of how they can and have in the past affected the continuity of your business vis-a-vis -vis your workforce. I think that's a very important part of it is this learning to think about the downstream effects of being purely reactive and instead, you know, proactively identifying how we're going to reduce those downstream uh, effects. I mean, you, you mentioned a hurricane. Uh, you can, because if you're in a hurricane prone region, you can identify the cost of the last hurricane in terms of knock on effects in distribution or whatever the case might be. Um, and, but that needs to become now part of your planning. It, it can't just be an emergency plan that you dust off when the emergency happens. It says, oh, okay, what do we do in circumstances like this? And I think, you know, when we think, think of systemic risk, it's easy for us to illustrate it with these sort of big uh, dramatic events, but they can also be very, very local in terms of something that really affects your particular supply chain and therefore your industry or your business in a way that, you know, people in the neighborhood, other companies in the, in the area are not going to be affected by it at all. And yet you still have to respond as if it's a, a potential threat to the continuity of your organization. And, and as JP says, our, our security and, um, risk uh, team here at Forrester can help you with some of those details. But really what we're trying to get people to think of is this now is not a dusted off when it happens kind of response plan. It is instead part of what on the HR side of the house, we just call workforce planning. Your workforce planning needs to have these kinds of risk estimates built into it so that policies that come out of your workforce planning, basic policies, and, and Katie Tynan, our colleague, was the one who really brought this to our attention, is that so many organizations offer a certain number of sick days, especially in the United States, where those kinds of things are, are, are privately managed by employers. 
but then they know that the utilization rate on those six sick days is below a certain threshold. So, oh, they're only going to use 65% of sick days that we offer. And then they plan for that on an ongoing basis. Well, in an environment that we're in right now, people are using all of their sick days and in some cases going beyond their sick days. And so the planning that you had before where you just thought, yep, this is the rate at which we plan to expect uh, people to take their sick sick days. You just can't rely on that. It needs to be a dynamic part of how you manage your workforce planning. It has to explicitly say, what are the risks that we're facing right now that could affect the way we plan our workforce? And, And more simply said, right now, a recommendation is for all companies to reinvestigate their sick leave policies and probably expand the number of sick days. And again, this is to account for multiple waves of COVID and avert a certain amount of absenteeism by rejiggering the schedule around staffing. So this is fascinating, guys, and it's really important stuff. But now it's making me think that this is a whole new input to deciding how we operate our businesses long term. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have. And somebody's going to have to be responsible for this level of planning. Do we have examples where there's somebody that's designated to this role that's really, truly getting into the long-term and short-term impacts of absenteeism on the business? There's no single answer here. Different companies are approaching this differently. It's fair to say a couple of things, though. Number one is that risk management in general has been elevated to a C-suite concern, right? It is now something in the wake of 2020 COVID in particular. Uh, Companies want to get ahead of this kind of risk. Number two, that human resources has to play a role here. Um, They were often on the front lines of dealing with COVID and continue to be, um, and they need a more strategic level of HR thinking behind what are the impacts of the workforce. So those two functions need to go together alongside other leaders within the organization. Anybody who is employing a group of workers is going to have their own idiosyncratic needs. Uh, The impacts of these systemic risk events will not be the same on every group because different groups of people have different uh, needs in terms of the kinds of work that they are doing. So I will say that I know of an example where a CEO got involved. It was a company we wrote about about a year ago. They were in the um, pre-packaged food business. They made Indian halal food. And they got all of their ingredients from uh, South Asia and they had to be shipped in. And they had to really change the, um, the way that they did their shipping and store those goods so that the people in the workforce would have ingredients to actually use when they were making this food over a period of time during COVID. So the level of coordination is high. The need is high. It is a very challenging problem. But I think if you align people internally, you have a much better chance of solving these problems. I want to pick up on what you said there, JP, about that level of coordination. And this is one of the reasons it is being elevated to the C-suite. If I have a concern, though, it's that ultimately what we would call workforce planning or workforce optimization Often the bottom line or the, where the buck stops is the CFO. And um, I am curious uh, to see how this is going to evolve, where HR comes into the room and says, we've got to be more astute at identifying these risks and planning for them. 
is the CFO going to come back and say, I'm totally on this page with you. I get it. Let's be smart and dynamic in how we approach our workforce planning and workforce optimization. Or is the CFO going to say, you know, I just need a number like we always have. You know, can't you just give me that number again? And I, I'm betting we just, for example, did a, a large survey of 1100 C-level executives around the world uh, together with a partner um, in the recruiting world named Otger Spernson. And in the survey, we found that it's really in the 30 to 40 percent range of executives who actually think in this way, adaptively, ready to change things as in response to disruption. And, and more than half of them are much more comfortable saying, let's just do what we did last year with a tiny improvement here and there. And, and so, you know, that, that's my concern. When Keith asks who in the world is going to do this, I think, well, who raises their hand to say we should do this? And then the CFO says, no, thank you. I'm not ready for that. that that's my worst case scenario, I think, because this is going to be so crucial. And the CFO will have the power to either turn the, turn the switch on or just shut it down completely. So good. Thank you, guys. This is a conversation that I feel like we're going to continue to have and more research to be done. Thank you so much, JP. Thanks you, James. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.